0: for today is taken from Ephesians 4:17 to 32. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continued lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This ends the reading of his word.
1: Thank you Marty So the song we sang just a moment ago In preparation for the message Spirit of the living God Fall afresh on me Is a song that I sing every Sunday Driving in to worship I live off the 174 And as I'm turning on the 174 And headed to church I start singing it that way Spirit of the living God Fall afresh on me Melt me Mold me Fill me Use me Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. It's usually about the Dorsey exit where I turn it into the communal version. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. As we have been following this message, why worship? We come to this point in the text and in, this, in the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and think about what it means to live a spirit-filled life. Last week, Jonathan preached on the beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians, and there in verse 3, it talks about living a life worthy of the calling you have received. Why do we want to do that? Because when we discover Jesus, And the radical grace of God. God's intervention in this world through Christ's coming. And we find that we are called to live a life of following Him and learning about Him and growing in Him. It leads us into a radical recognition of His love for us. And a desire to respond with love in return. To live a life that... Isn't worthy of that love in terms of earning or deserving it, but it mirrors back that love. It's the right response to the love of God reflected in love in return. We want to live a kind of life, a life worthy of the calling we have received, because we want to say thank you to God and we want to reflect back that to Him. And now, If we're ever going to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, if we're ever going to attain that kind of unity that we were talking about last week and the oneness that God wants us to express, it's going to take living a spirit-filled life. You see, we can't live a life worthy of the calling we have received on our own strength or ability. We will continue to fall short. But in and through receiving the grace of God and receiving the presence and person of the Holy Spirit, we become empowered to live a life worthy of His calling for us. Last week and in the first part of Ephesians 4, the emphasis was on unity and oneness in Christ. Today, in this part of Ephesians 4, the part that Marty read, the emphasis was really on purity of life. We might think that there separated in a sense but actually there are two parts of a whole you see if we're going to live a unified life if we're going to be unified in the body of Christ if we're going to experience the oneness that Paul talks about we need to seek individual purity because it's as we're purified through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that we become unified As God is shaping each and every one of us, as we're growing more and more to become like Him, we're going to experience a unity and a oneness that God wants us to have. Purity will lead to unity. It comes to a recognition that we have one Lord, as we looked at last week. And when we come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we start to learn to live differently, This isn't meant then that we lead or go into a life of legalism. It's not about the Jewish law and trying to again uh, uh, practice all the laws in such a way that we become perfect. But nor is it about license to do whatever we'd like because of the grace of God. No, because of God's radical grace because of welcoming Jesus in as our Lord and Savior, because of the transforming power and presence of the Holy Spirit within us, we start to live a more Christ-like life. It's not about license to do whatever we'd like, but nor is it about legalism, where we're trying to live that way on our own strength and ability. We need to remember that the Christian way of life begins... With the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the imperatives to do this and not do that come out of a response to what God has already done in Christ. In sending his spirit to us, we find the empowerment to live a different life. And what the New Testament gives in that is not directions, but direction. And there's a big difference. Let me try to give an example. Sometimes I start driving towards a destination, and then when I realize that I'm lost, then I start, I go onto my GPS and my cell phone, and I try to get going back the right direction. I experienced this yesterday, trying to get to a Little League game down past Weimar. I thought, oh, I know where it is. I've been there once before. Well, then we started going and pretty quickly I realized I'm not headed the right way. or I don't know exactly where to go. Then I started putting my GPS on and Josh is in the car next to me. I'm like, hey, Josh, punch in this address. And We were scrambling to find it. Much better is to punch the address into your GPS on your cell phone before you start the trip, right? That's what God wants to do for us in Christ to give us direction on the way to go and the way to live, not directions in each time when we're scrambling in the midst of the moment. The Bible actually gives us a way of life that's presented to us. And it's presented to us in the context here in this passage of the Trinity. God, the Father, has created us. Jesus has come and lived a perfect life that is modeled for us. And now the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us, to empower us and enable us to live in light of God's revelation and to walk differently. Paul tells us to live a spirit-filled life means to no longer live as if we're outside of God's family, but rather to live out the family likeness in Christ. Those who live outside of God's family lack perspective. They're not reflecting what it means to live as a reflection of our connection with Christ. But when we live out our family likeness, when we live a spirit-filled life, we turn away from the old way of life and we start to live in the new. I love the way Paul contrasts that here. He talks about that once we were one way, but now we are living differently. And he looks at the old way of life first in order to help us to see clearly what the new lifestyle in Christ is like. Sadly, he speaks of those who live outside of Christ and his revelation and empowerment of the Spirit being like a descent into darkness. There are actually eight qualities reflected here of those who live outside of God's family and outside of connection with the Father. The first is futile thinking. Here, our minds become concerned with empty things that lead to futility. I think it's both in the sense that we think about things that really are empty and don't have substance. We worry and we have fear and anxiety and our thoughts get distracted. But also, as we do, we realize how limited those things are to encourage us and build us up. That We we think about things and we weary ourselves with worry and concern and there's a futility there outside of thinking about Christ and all that God has done for us. Secondly, people become darkened in their understanding. This continues the idea of a futile thought life. Such people here are impeded by a mental fog that blots out the divine life and they they don't have the mind or the direction of Christ. I think of it almost like driving at night without your headlights on. There's a darkness there and you're not going to see what is ahead. Beth put something on Facebook yesterday where she had been driving on the 80 coming up from Auburn up towards Grass Valley in Nevada City and all of a sudden she saw a bunch of ducklings on the side of the 80 walking along the road. It was like, what are you doing there? If she was driving at night and didn't have her headlights on, she clearly would have hit these ducks that were on the highway. We need to have our lights on to not be darkened in our understanding, but to have the headlights, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit to see through the present darkness and into God's wonderful light. Thirdly, people who live outside of God's family and don't have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit are separated from the life of God. Literally, Paul is saying they're cut off from contact with God, and the life he alone can impart they become strangers to the life that God wants to give. Fourth here, it says that they will live in, the, in ignorance as a result of the hardening of their hearts. The Greek word here is perosis, and it's, it's literally a calcification or, or literally a hardening of the heart, a petrification of our hearts. Our hearts can become so hardened without God's intervention and softening and the Spirit's transformation of us, that they become so petrified and so hardened that the God and His grace and the, the, the Holy Spirit can't get in, so to speak. It's as if we take the image from Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And it's like the doors of our hearts are locked. Christ can't get in because of the way People are living and and separating themselves from him. Jesus became frustrated about this and actually reflected a godly kind of anger, a righteous anger in many places in the Gospels. For instance, in Mark 3, 5, Jesus looked around at the Pharisees who, who didn't believe that Jesus should be healing on the Sabbath. And it says that he was angry because of the hardness of their heart. He was grieved that their heart had become So callous to somebody in need that they wouldn't see the need for reaching out in love. Sadly, what I'm seeing in our culture is an increasing hardness of heart. Much like Pharaoh hardened his heart to God's intervention and the miracles that God did in the Exodus to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, more and more people are living life as if God isn't present, that Spirit isn't at work that this life is all there is. And I see a hopelessness. I see a futility, a stone-like petrification of people's hearts where it seems harder and harder for God to break in. In this instance or situation, Paul says people lose sensitivity. It's like we've lost a, a softness of heart that, that allows God to work in our hearts and allows us to respond to the needs and concerns of other people. What he's saying here is that right thinking, transformation of our minds will ultimately lead to right living in and through the, the, our thoughts and the way God might work in our minds to be worked out through our hearts. But when we lose sensitivity, we're not open to God's work and we're not open to other people. Paul goes on to say they've given themselves over to pleasures. Pleasures. It's as if people have a futility of mind and a a hardness of heart that then they just give themselves away to whatever seems to come next, whatever momentary pleasure seems to come their way. And people in this situation almost become past feeling in their shameless wantonness and kind of desire for things, they abandon themselves to every kind of unclear conduct and the insatiable lusts of their desires. Paul says that people in that situation will indulge in impurity. There becomes a, an overindulgence, a lack of self-control, which ultimately leads, he says, to a continual lust for more. Sadly, in addictive tendencies that people can fall into and we all can be prone to outside of God's protection and empowering of the Holy Spirit we can get into that continual lust for more a grasping for what might meet our needs at least we think what might temporarily satisfy us but what we know and can experience uh, some of us personally firsthand is that reaching out in that insatiable lust for desire which could be sexual temptation or other kinds of temptation any good thing taken to an unhealthy extreme ultimately leads us unsatisfied and empty c.s lewis in the screw tape letter speaks to this well where screw tape the senior demon speaks to wormwood a junior demon screw tape is is Wormwood's uncle and is trying to inform him as a junior demon and how to tempt his patient, it is called. Screwtape says this to Wormwood, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. All of the the pleasures are God's intervention, not ours. All we can do is to encourage humans to take pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or to degrees which he has forbidden. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. Screw tape tells Wormwood. And sadly, we know this personally or in those around us who live apart from the presence and empowerment of God, there can be that insatiable lust for more, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Sadly, pornography and its prevalence in our society may be one of the most profound illustrations of this, where people seek after more and more sexually perversive images in order to try to meet some craving. And sadly... People can spiral into darkness as a result. In contrast with this way of life, Paul invites us into something new and different. He contrasts the old way of life with Christians living a spirit-filled life. He says that those folks have heard and were taught in accordance with the truth. They were taught to put off the old way of life and to be made new in the attitude of their minds. And I love what the putting off and the putting on, uh, you know, description here that Paul outlines. He's basically saying, clothe yourselves in a new way. Put on new clothes. I want to illustrate this today by the fact that I'm wearing the suit coat that I actually got as a 19-year-old in my first church internship in Hollister, California in 1992. So I've had this thing for a long time. In fact, I was wearing it and I sat down and and Melissa Agnes, one of her elders, started picking at a spot on the shoulder where it's actually worn out and the moths have eaten that part of it because she thought there must be something stuck to my jacket. This is an old jacket, faded, been worn for years. The imitation of Christ is to take off that old jacket It may not fit anymore. I actually could get the middle button on, surprisingly. (laughs) But it was tight, folks. And to put on the most recent coat that Beth got me. And to wear that new coat. To live that new way of life. To allow what Christ has done to mold us and to shape us. And to live differently. We're... The inward transformation of the heart that God is doing through the Holy Spirit becomes reflected outwardly in the way we live. And this doesn't happen overnight. For some of you, when you came to Christ and accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, maybe there was an instant transformation of of one or more areas of your life. But often, it's a long process. A process that takes time and over time, you become increasingly transformed. I've had areas in my life that got transformed quickly and other areas where, it's, where I am still a work in progress, for sure. When I came to more of a discipleship commitment at the age of 17 and committed my life to Christ and felt a call to ministry, one of the things that was transformed quickly was that I used to swear a lot. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I just had no desire to swear and to, to use off-colored words. But then other areas of my life, God is still working on me and shaping me and molding me. And will be the rest of my life. The commitment or the invitation here in living a spirit-filled life is to learn Christ, it says. And to hear him and be taught in him. The image here that Paul gives is clearly of a disciple, methetes in the Greek, going to school. The image of a school here is we're committed to learning about Jesus as followers or students of Christ. We want to learn more and more. We want to hear about him every Sunday and in our growth groups. And we want to be taught in him, we want to be instructed. Sadly, the the common thing that I hear from many of our students who hadn't been in in in-person learning is that nobody's teaching me this. I'm having to try to figure it out on my own. I don't have instruction. One of my sons in particular, if you instruct him, he works hard and he'll get his work done. But if he doesn't have that initial instruction, it's really hard. Now that they're in person, in school, you know, more of the time, and my boys have been you know, full day now for a month or so, they're learning and they're, they're hearing and they're, they're, they're being taught and they're growing academically. Similarly, for we in the body of Christ, if we're going to learn Christ, if we're going to hear Him, be taught in Him, it's going to be a continued process where we open up our Bibles and read God's Word every day where we ask the Holy Spirit to do His transforming work in our hearts that that only He can do. As disciples, we recognize humbly that we can't learn this on our own. We need God to shape us and mold us from within. So Paul continues the imagery of putting off and putting on. He says, leave behind the old way of life that... ...that is reflected in in living in the flesh. The Greek word is sarx there. Living a fleshly life. And put on a new way of life that's reflected by living in the spirit. Paul talks about these these qualities. A a turning away and a turning towards. And it's important that we recognize that all of these qualities are relational... in, ...in their orientation. In other words when we talk about leaving behind falsehood and embracing truthfulness, giving up anger and entering into forgiveness, not stealing but working, giving up unwholesome talk and only saying what is helpful or encouraging, those things are relational qualities. I love the fact that, that we looked at Galatians 5 uh, at the, in the, uh, the, re- the reading, the responsive reading. And you saw some qualities that as Rob was reading them, it was like, oh man, I don't, want, I don't want to be there. I don't want to live that kind of life. And then the last slide that, that I think we read, maybe, uh, we got to read the good parts, <laughs> was the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm like, yes, love and joy and peace and patience and, and, and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's how I want to live. And the only way we're going to do that is if we allow the the Spirit to, to increasingly grow or nurture those qualities within us. When we do that, when we allow the Spirit to move in us, we stop living like... Like the old Adam, you know, a, a life lived trying to obtain, fi- you know, righteousness ourselves or lived in the flesh. And we start to live like Christ and allow the Spirit of God to, to move and transform us. And Paul says when we do that, we're, we're not going to tell lies, but rather we're going to tell the truth. We know that living, uh, lying is, is a lifestyle that's to be left behind, we're, we're going to ultimately get caught when we tell lies. It's only a matter of time. I was reading a separate passage in the Gospels, Luke 13, yesterday. And, and Jesus there talks about what is said in the darkness is going to be revealed in the light. What's said in private, and you know, where gossip and slander occurs, is going to be made known in the light and publicly. And we hear that and we're like, oh man, what have I said about somebody else, you know, when they weren't there that was harmful or, you know, uh, was attacking? How can I live in light of Christ's light so that what I say about other people and what I say about Jesus and what I affirm about experiences is, is true and leaves falsehood behind? Paul talks about don't lose your temper, but rather ensure that your anger is righteous. And I do like there that there is a righteous anger. There are things that we are meant to stand up against and feel angry about. I today, as we were pulling off on the highway, saw a person sleeping right there on the bridge. And I thought, oh man, what's going on in our society that that somebody would be in that situation and in that place of desperation? I wanted to just kind of pick them up and take them over to Hospitality House. Or help them find the resources they need we're, we're, we're meant to be angry about those things That reflect injustice Or where, where, there's, where there's sadness when, 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 when somebody's in that kind of situation And grief But then we're to, to let go of an unrighteous anger Where we lose our temper It's so important that Dallas Willard Would say it this way Anger he says Is the most fundamental problem In the human life If you are aiming to transform people. In other words, anger is one of the primary impediments against God's transformation. So Paul spends more time here on anger and these qualities than than any of the others. And he he tells us four things here that I'll briefly enumerate. He says first, in your anger do not sin. So there's anger that is righteous and doesn't necessarily lead to sin. That's a righteous indignation. But there's, there's also anger that leads to sin where we act out of our anger. He says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. In other words, don't allow it to take root. Don't allow it to, to fester. Because often, anger only builds. It doesn't just go away. And I'm going to stop and pause and say, for those who are married, this is, this is one of the biggest ones. And I think about this, like when I get in bed at night and, you know, is there any anger I feel towards my wife? If you're married and you think about your spouse, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Resolve that so that that it doesn't become bitterness. It doesn't become rooted in your feelings towards your spouse third Paul says don't let anger develop into resentment again if we allow it to to maintain overnight if we if we let the sun go down in our anger it can start to build into a resentment which is a a rooted anger and Paul then says don't let the devil get a foothold or don't give the devil a foothold in other words if we act out in anger or we we let the sun go down in our anger. We build up resentment. We're giving Satan space to play and work. And we don't want to do that in our lives or in our community. Paul goes on to say, don't steal, but rather work. Uh, let, let a thief no longer steal. might just remember it this way. Stop stealing and start working. Engage in, in meaningful work. And this can be a, a vocation for those who are retired, however you spend the primary amount of your time, but serving and working in such a way that it builds up other people and builds up the kingdom of God. Finally, in a, a fifth quality, Paul moves from the use of one's hands and work to the use of one's mouth. He says, let no evil talk come from your mouths. The word here for evil is sapros it, it is a word used for rotten trees and rotten fruit he's basically saying what comes out of your mouth shouldn't be rotten talk it shouldn't be like a, a piece of fruit that's rotting in the sun that isn't life-giving rather it's like that that crisp apple that that, that you, that's picked right off the tree it's, a, it's an apple of gold set in the in the context of silver talked about in Proverbs. In other words, it's something you say that is life-giving and filling. In the last two verses, Paul wraps up by saying, living the spirit-filled life means getting rid of or putting away all bitterness. That means holding grudges. It means he says, give up rage and anger, hostile feelings and an, an explosive temper. He says, let go of brawling and slander. That's loud outbursts or talking behind one's back. He says, give up malice, which is plotting evil against one another. We know that those qualities disrupt and divide Christian fellowships. And they also actually become a reflection of Satan's work in our life rather than the spirit's work. In fact, the Greek word diabolos for Satan is the same word for slander or accuser. We don't want to falsely accuse other people. We don't want to slander other people. We don't want to become a reflection of Satan's accusations. No, we want the Spirit to move in us. To live a Spirit-filled life and to be then kind as he talks about in verse 32. That means being generous and quick to respond to needs. We want to be compassionate in living a spirit-filled life. That means being tender and sem- um, sensitive and empathetic towards other people. And ultimately, he says, be forgiving. Take the initiative in mending hurts. Otherwise, again, it might lead to that kind of bitterness and, and, and in a place where people are, are angry and raging or or ready to fight or or flee, but rather instead we're meant to stay connected in community, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven us. You see, friends, when we experience and discover the radical grace of God, it's an invitation to live a different life, to follow Jesus and to allow his love for us to transform us So that we're able to to love other people. And then we're ready to share the good news of Jesus. And how far we've come. How we're different people. We're living a, a, a life that reflects a different kind of garment. Than we used to wear or to live. Instead we're living into the new. Because of the spirit enabling us to. Please hear me. Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit is not trying to act like you have it all together, but it's about those allowing the Spirit to enable you to live differently, to grow up in Christ so that you can continue to reflect Him in all your relationships, so that you're sharing and witness verbally to who Jesus is has integrity because people can see what He's done in your life. As Melissa comes up and leads us into prayer, I want to lead us into just an invitation here first. Invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads if you would like. And to pray along with me the song that we sang earlier. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me.
2: you in this morning to be present so that we may worship you and lift you up. You are holy. You are amazing. We honor you.
3: There's nothing of Bye, Bye.
2: pray that everybody in the room feels your presence right now. There's no doubt that you're here with us. God, in any given moment in our average day-to-day lives, it can be challenging to invite you in. God, sometimes we just get so busy. get distracted I'm thankful in this moment that every person in this room is here every person here has made the conscious choice to come this morning to be present with you to worship you and God I pray that's not in vain for anyone I'll genuinely see you, that we experience you, that we let the atmosphere around us be shifted by your presence, and God, in that space of meditation, of seeking you, finding your place in the atmosphere that we're in. I'd really like to sing. Sing that again. God, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let that be our proclamation this morning. Let us lift it up with power, with truth. Without holding back at all. let that be our prayer this morning come into this place we invite you in Spirit of God fall fresh on us grow stronger through us we long for you and we take time this morning to let go of ourselves and learn from you learn more about you And God, to be able to go out into the world after and shine your light. Thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.